they're going to look at you and they're going to say, what did she say? What did he say? And now you have to translate. So you have to understand their language, the medical terminology, and you also have to understand how most people speak. Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. That's Genesis 11, 6 through 9. It's perfect for our topic today. We're going to discuss language. If you've taken an anatomy and physiology course, especially your first anatomy and physiology course, one of the very first barriers is the language of anatomy and physiology, sometimes referred to as medical terminology. Got my coffee ready to go. Excited to be here. Excited to have you here. This is Biblical Anatomy. We record this on Mondays. We record our other podcast discipleship conditioning on Wednesdays. If you look in our show notes, a lot of the information that is pertinent to how you would communicate with us, how you would support us, all the links are going to be there. I apologize over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of changes in those links. Uh, We've been doing a lot of updates to the website with domains and things like that. For instance, uh, as of Friday, I finally figured out how to have my email hosting provider allow us to modify our emails based on our domains. We own four domains, and so now we can create email addresses based on any of those four domains. The way you reach us is still the same, but for instance, there is a new email that I've dedicated just to this podcast simply called podcast at biblicalanatomy.com. There'll be another one for discipleship conditioning on Wednesday and uh, things of that nature. Otherwise, everything remains the same on how to get a hold of us. Even if you send us an email on an old email, it'll still find its way to us based on what I've done on the back end of the system. But enough about that. Let's discuss the benefit and let's get into the show. Benefit of today is that we're going to tackle that barrier of language. Now, obviously, in a podcast that's aimed to be 20, 25 minutes long, we're not going to tackle the entire subject, but I'm going to go over five examples of anatomy and physiology language that tends to be difficult for students. And we're going to break words apart and we're going to solve them. This is all Greek and Latin based. I'd say probably 70% Greek, 30% Latin, maybe even a little bit more so on the Greek side. Our mission is to bring together Christians who seek to understand their biblical anatomy, to connect science with scripture so we can better understand God's handiwork in our lives. Let me first tell you a story, kind of an embarrassing story. 
but in Psychology 101, which I took my very first semester uh, at Boise State University here in Idaho, as I transferred from the University of Phoenix over to Boise State University, and it was a very overwhelming course. As I've mentioned in the past, uh, many of those freshman style classes are lecture halls with 250 students, maybe even more than that. And in that, I sat as close to the front as I could, first three rows, usually on a daily basis, a lot of times even the front row, to do the best I could to absorb what the instructor was saying. And I enjoyed the class. It actually later manifested into a minor for me. I picked up more psychology classes and enjoyed the majority of them quite a lot, um, specifically the ones that were more uh, 30 or 40 students in class as opposed to, say, 300. But nevertheless, I remember struggling with Psychology 101. And as I look back now, it was purely the, the language of it. It wasn't the concepts, uh, but it was the language of it. And it's funny that I say concepts here now because there was a word, conceptualize, that really aggravated me. At that point in 2012, it seemed to be the hot word, at least in that class, in psychology. Everybody would say, conceptualize this, conceptualize that, conceptualize this, conceptualize that. And I would get so frustrated because I didn't know what conceptualize meant. And it made me feel dumber and dumber and dumber. So I remember seeking out the guidance of a teacher's assistant. Our professor was very difficult to get a hold of as you may imagine in a lecture hall of that nature. But I was able to get a hold of one of the teacher's assistants and work one-on-one -on -one with them or in a small group. And I think during our first or second session, they said conceptualize and I was having a bad day and I wish I could uh, speak to this person now and apologize, but I kind of snapped. I said, I don't know what conceptualize means and you guys are using it every fifth word, which was obviously an exaggeration but it would deter me from learning because I felt inadequate, I felt stupid. So if you've ever felt that way in anatomy and physiology, I've been there. In fact, years later, as I became an instructor of anatomy and physiology, I found myself using a somewhat similar term. Uh, this term was, was and is analogous. And I would find myself saying it, probably students felt like every fifth word. And I didn't have a similar experience where a student came up to me frustrated like I did, but I had a few comments here and there and I realized I'm just repeating the cycle. I'm just taking some confusing words and I'm assuming they know them and I'm saying it to challenge them in a new way and sound intelligent myself. One of my old professors would tell me that I'm thankful that you've learned how to communicate in this way but now true genius is to be able to communicate that to anyone, which really frustrated me. I, was, I had a moment of pride for sure. I was prideful that I'd learned all this material in this complex language, and now I was being challenged to go ahead and communicate that with anyone. Um, it made me feel like I was regressing in a way, but I was so lost for so many reasons in my life during that period of time. But looking back on it now, it was funny how hypocritical I was because I was no more than four years removed from the first story that I told you with the frustration over the word conceptualize. So funny how the tables had turned and I was being challenged in this way and it certainly made me a better instructor. And so 
If you're struggling in that way, hopefully this podcast can be of value to you. No doubt it will be. To back up a little bit, conceptualize is to think in your mind. Conceptual is cognitive-based. It is an idea or a thought. And then just simply putting eyes on the end of it turns it into verb form. So if I'm explaining how neurons work, thinking about how neurons work, you're conceptualizing that if you struggle with that word. And then analogous, the word that I often use in class, is pretty simple when you think of the word analogy and take off the O-U-S and replace it for a Y. We probably all know what analogy means. It's where you're comparing two different things. So when you say analogous, you're just converting, converting the form of the word and you're using it in the same way as comparison for two things. It's very similar to the word synonym, which most of us are familiar with. So let's go over five examples of where we have these somewhat complex words, at least in their appearance, and let's break them down. Let's start with something fairly easy like leukocyte. Leuco is a Greek term which means white. Okay. Site is also a Greek term and it means cell, specifically mature cell. We won't get too deep into the other versions of cells, but you may hear blast is a version of this, which would indicate immature cell. So it's important to distinct mature when we say site. So when we say leukocyte, we're referring to a white blood cell, <coughs> excuse me, or specifically a mature white blood cell. Epiphysis would be our next term. Both its prefix and word root are Greek. What do those terms mean? Prefix, like in the previous example, was leuco, that was the prefix, and the word root was site. Sometimes you'll have a uh, suffix, like itis, which will indicate inflammation. In these examples, uh, we don't really have many suffixes um, other than ar or itis, which again, we'll, we'll talk about when we get there. But epiphysis in our second example. So our prefix would be epi. Epi means a number of things. Upon, over, around, those sorts of things. If you think of layers like layers of the crust, epi would be the layer that we live on, the visible layer of the crust. And then you would have deeper layers from there. So when you're describing the skin, the top layer would be the epidermis. Really, it's the top numerous layers because there's sub-layers within there, but you get the idea. So epi means upon, over, and around. That's also Greek-based. Phyasis, which looks like physis. Phyasis is also Greek-based, and it relates to growth. So we, we explained what a leukocyte was, white blood cell. So what's an epiphysis? Epiphysis uh, is one end of a long bone. So if we take our arm, for example, our humerus, we would have two epiphyses. When we say epiphysis, that's singular, is singular. And because it's not combined with itis, it doesn't have to do with inflammation. So is by itself doesn't indicate inflammation, but itis does, which would be a, uh, a suffix. Like pericarditis or something like that, or tendinitis, something like that. But with epiphysis, you'd also have a proximal epiphysis, and then down towards your elbow, you'd have a distal epiphysis. So again, if you say phyasis, it's singular, phyases, it's plural. That relates to growth. So our long bones grow in a very specific way, sort of a longitudinal sort of way. 
So epiphysis refers to the two ends of those bones. Again, if you want to be more specific, you say proximal epiphysis or distal epiphysis because of the orientation of anatomical position and specifically the long bones within anatomical position. Next word we have is myoglobin. The prefix would be myo, which is also Greek. It means muscle. Interestingly, it also refers to mice, but in anatomy and physiology, we use it as a reference to muscle. And then our uh, rude, uh, not rude, excuse me, our root, our word root would be globin. Globin is Latin. So here's the first instance in our examples of a Latin, and it means conjugated protein. A conjugated is used in English. It's used in chemistry. Our definition that we're going to go with for conjugated is more related to chemistry. Interestingly, it also relates to exercise science. We use conjugated uh, and, and things of that nature for exercise science as well. But backing back up to chemistry, which is the most direct way we use it in anatomy and physiology, it relates to a linking of disassociated bonds where they're not linear. So you could have like three uh, chemical bonds that have a triple bond and a, and, a, and a single bond and a double bond and that they're re repeated kind of like a polymer and linked together in that sort of way. Now it doesn't have to meet the definition of polymer that it's exact repeating but you're taking these otherwise non-matching sections of chemicals and you're matching them together, you're conjugating them together. Okay, so that comes from the Latin language, globin. Globin, you've probably heard in hemoglobin before. Hemoglobin would be the protein that carries oxygen and carbon dioxide in blood. So any other time you hear globin in anatomy and physiology, think of that responsibility of carrying oxygen and carbon dioxide. So if we have myoglobin, it's just simply muscle conjugated protein. So this would be the same as hemoglobin, but it would be located in muscle. There's also another example called neuroglobin. It's the same thing. It's that conjugated protein, but it's located in the nervous system rather than the cardiovascular system or the muscular system. Our fourth example is endocardium. Endocardium, endo is the prefix. It means within, which is sort of the opposite to epi. In fact, in the cardium, we have an endocardium, a myocardium, and an epicardium. Those gives, a, gives us three layers right there. The myocardium is somewhat confusing because myo means muscle, cardium means heart. And so you might think um, maybe the heart of skeletal muscle, which would kind of make sense. But in that instance, it's related to a layer of the cardium, a layer of the heart in its surrounding tissues. So going back to our example, endocardium, endo meaning within, cardium meaning heart, both of these being Greek words, it is within the heart specific to the layer. And so your heart layer, the physical part of the heart you see during dissection, and the part of the heart that you cut through the heart wall during dissection, you're going through structures like the epicardium, the myocardium, and the endocardium. Our next example is two Latin examples, and this one's the most complex. It's called juxtaglomerular. And simply, it's complex because it's a word that we don't hear very often, and it's just a lengthy word, juxtaglomerular. In fact, I can combine that with another word to describe a structure in your kidneys and say juxtaglomerular apparatus, 
And what that does in some instances for students that aren't familiar with those terms is sort of cause a stress response, a fight or flight response. So be wary of that when you're learning anatomy and physiology and specifically the language. From my experience as a student as well as an instructor, sometimes an instructor using longer terms like that without breaking it down first can just cause sort of a, a lapse in understanding. In fact, with all of my students, I will challenge them on a lecture basis and ask them what their muddiest point is, what they didn't understand. But I will also ask them what their clearest point is, what they did understand. Because before I mentioned the word juxtaglomerular apparatus, a student may have picked up on a few things and been proud of what they had achieved in their learning. But as soon as I mention that big hairy word, juxtaglomerular apparatus, they may check out and they may hinder their learning from that point forward. So what I've learned in my teaching is to be wary of when I introduce those terms and focus on the reactions that I'm getting from students so that I can stop when I see what I like to call floating question marks. I see confusion in the air and address that as best I can to get us back on track with our learning. Now, in this instance, in a podcast, I can't see you. So that makes that certainly more challenging. But do your best when you hear those things because instructors aren't perfect. When they say those things and it causes that lap in instruction, when you have a source like a podcast, pause it, come back later, right? Um, Or rewind and kind of start back through. What I should have done with juxtaglomerular apparatus, as I've instructed that I often do in my classes, is introduce it first. So let's go through it. Juxta, which is Latin, it means alongside or next to. Pretty simple just next to something, okay? Glomerular. Glomerular is also Latin. Now, in medical terminology, you could do glomerule and then break off the AR and say R. AR is the uh, suffix, like itis would be. But all AR means is in relation to. So in this instance, I kept it a part of glomerular and, and created glomerular with two parts, a word root and a suffix. And that is also Latin, and it means a wound clue ball. Think of a ball of yarn. And if you look at the glomerulus, that's kind of what it looks like. It's this microscopic structure that's essentially a capillary system. Um, That's sort of a misnomer, but it works for what we're talking about now. And when we get to the renal system, I'll explain why it's a misnomer. But essentially, it looks like this big ball of yarn that functions as a part of the cardiovascular system integrating with the urinary system or the renal system. I think I mentioned renal just a minute ago. So for clarification there, renal means the same thing as urinary. Okay, We find that a lot in our systems. Pulmonary is another one that gets confusing. It means the same thing as respiratory. So there are a couple of systems that have different names depending on which class you're taking. Uh, That could be anatomy and physiology or a higher level class, Uh, but nonetheless, that certainly occurs. So we have alongside or next to a wound clue ball. So the juxtaglomerular word, the juxtaglomerular apparatus, really is just saying it's a structure next to the glomerulus. The juxtaglomerular apparatus is not a wound clue ball because juxta in the prefix tells us that it's next to. So it's just a structure nestled next to that wound clue ball. Okay. Now, 
all these things that we've talked about will fit in nicely with the specific system. For instance, leukocyte, that's going to fit in mainly with your cardiovascular system uh, and immune system or lymphatic system. Your epiphysis is going to fit in best with the bones, the skeletal system. Myoglobin is going to fit in best with the muscular system, but will tie into the cardiovascular system also. Endocardium is going to fit in best with the cardiovascular system. And juxtaglomerular is going to fit in best with the urinary system, and maybe even also to a degree the endocrine system. So we'll go into more depth on each of these terms when appropriate. But as we get into our fifth episode, which I believe this one is, of this new podcast, I want to begin by introducing some things that you'll see early on in the semester and struggles that you might have. As this progresses, you'll be able to scroll directly to whatever system that you're looking at most primarily. You'll have to hunt a little bit, and I do that on purpose because as you know, I, and this goes against the secular advice to make things easy, right? Um, But this is a calling for us. So every title of every episode is going to be began with a date and a biblical verse. For us today, it was Genesis 11, 6 through 9. And then at the end, I'll put in a term or set of terms that will describe what we're talking about. So I included language in this one because we're talking about language. But it is always my goal that you see anatomy and physiology through a biblical lens as that is the appropriate way to do it in the way that is not taught at pretty much any institution. So I want to challenge you in that way to look at God's design and see how it integrates perfectly. It is it is created by, our anatomy and physiology is created by him. So we want to give credit to him in all instances, including the origin of our different languages. We are self-sponsored as we have remained in both podcasts since day one. We hope to remain that way, but there are factors that will determine uh, whether that is the case or not. One of this is simply just communication. Tell us what you think. Tell us what topics you'd like to cover. The only way I'm going to go out of order in terms of topics is if there is a student that really needs help with a specific topic at this point in time, I will put that to the front of the list and we'll create a podcast on that. But that doesn't occur if we don't have communication. So if you're a social media person, which I, for the most part, am not, um, but I still do it for business purposes, there are social links that you can get a hold of us in. Um, If you're getting a hold of us in TikTok or Instagram, uh, be patient with me. I'm still learning very much in those instances that is way outside of my comfort zone and something that... uh, uh, I, I need some training on, certainly. But our accounts do exist. We do post on there actively. And if that's the way that you're most comfortable communicating, then please do that. Otherwise, a simple email would be fantastic. And as I mentioned in the podcast earlier, our email is in the show notes. Our email is podcast at biblicalanatomy.com. Uh, tips and referrals are necessary. If you can support us financially, please provide support in the form of a tip. Those links are down at the bottom of the show notes also. If you can provide with word of mouth, that's the form of marketing that I believe in most. In a world of email marketing and text message marketing and all this stuff, 
word of mouth still is the best form of marketing. So if you can refer our podcast to someone you know that would benefit, that would be fantastic. And then, of course, if you could rate and review, that would be great for us as well. In the other podcast, Discipleship Conditioning, as soon as we got five reviews, our downloads exploded. Um, And so that proves to me that there's an algorithm there to get you out to certain people. This podcast doesn't have five reviews yet. And so our outreach is limited in this podcast. So that would also be appreciated. Uh, And then, of course, consider attending one of our biblical anatomy courses. If you go to our website, you'll find links to go to class and you'll find our courses that we offer there through our memberships. So what's the take home message? Well, God separated us at the Tower of Babel to keep us from destructing ourselves. Okay, Look into Genesis more if you want to do a Bible study on that. I would encourage you to do so. Since we are translated into other languages or our language was formed into different different languages we then translate from english to greek and from greek to hebrew etc etc with that i think we've learned the nuances of human languages and we've learned where some languages are deficient and some are superior greek has a lot of instances with the way that the sentences are formed that i think are superior to english they give us a lot more meaning. One of the inadequacies of the English language is with text messaging and email. You can't really sense tone and those sorts of things. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to compare it with the Greek language and see how the Greek language was superior in that instance. And it's fun to do that. It's fun to go back and to translate back and forth and to see where things came from and how that language was built in comparison to the one that we use today. So what can we take away from those other languages and what way were those languages beneficial deficient what is your current language and what way is that beneficial and deficient what's language for it's is a means of communication from person to person and so we should utilize it as such and this is just a way to communicate with medical professionals to understand what you're talking about what they're talking about if you're an aspiring nurse or say maybe a dental hygienist with a nurse, one of the most difficult parts about being a nurse is that you're gonna have a doctor come into the room and that doctor is going to state something to the patient. And you're gonna be in there doing whatever it is you're doing, uh, logging, noting, charting, whatever the case is. And think about it, what's the first thing that's gonna happen when that doctor leaves? patient's going to have probably not said a word. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, what did she say? What did he say? And now you have to translate. So you have to understand their language, the medical terminology, and you also have to understand how most people speak, which goes full circle all the way back to the lesson that my graduate professor was trying to teach me, right? If you're a dental hygienist, the same analogy works. Dentist comes in. Dentist states what needs to be said. If they're a good dentist in terms of how they communicate with others, they do some translating on their own, but most don't. And so what happens when the dentist leaves? They look to the dental hygienist or the dental assistant and they say, what did she just say? What did he just say? And they go down that route of seeking your guidance in your translations. So again, you have to understand their way of communicating their language, the medical terminology and the layman terms associated with that and be able to integrate the two effectively. 
So this is where medical terminology comes in. If you struggle with this and think I'm never gonna use this in my field, well, I've just given you two examples on where you absolutely will. And if those aren't your selected professions, well, substitute your profession. And there's an example in there that I assure you uh, will come up to play. And so we do need to know this stuff. Let's conclude as we always do with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.